Good morning. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is March 14th, 2017, and I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm. And to all of my fellow nerds out there, I want to wish a happy pie day. That's not the kind you eat. That's the kind where pi r squared to get the circumference of a circle. And uh, last year was actually a better pi day because last year was 31416, when this is 31417. Uh, speaking of nerds, we will have one on a little later in the program uh, as, as my guest today. And uh he is one who really proves the fact that you don't have to be a Sheldon on Big Bang Theory to be a nerd. You, he is a very personable person, and some of us nerds do actually have a personality or two. Today is also the Feast of St. Matilda. Now, why would I bring up St. Matilda? I'll... Is she waltzing? She was, yes. Okay. She did do a little waltzing. Reason for that uh, is that I bet I am one of the few people uh, in this area that had an Aunt Matilda on both sides of the family. And both of them went by the name Tilly. No kidding. That's unusual. Good morning, Rises Valley. This is Thaddeus Romanski, your station director back in the producer's chair this morning. Um, yeah, wow, that's interesting, Gene. And, and Matilda, I, I did a little research on Matilda when I found out it was her feast day. Uh, she also, was also known as Matildas and Maud. So if your name is Matilda, Matildas, or Maud, or Tilly, this is your feast day. Now, she was married to the Duke of Saxony back in uh, the year 909. Modern-day Germany now. Modern-day Germany, uh, southwestern Germany for the most part. Mm -hmm. And her husband succeeded King Conrad I as the king of Germany. But he had a lot of opposition because uh, he was a duke, just like all the other dukes there, and they didn't like that. And when her husband died, her two sons uh, actually feuded a lot like Jacob and Esau over who was going to be number one. Mm -hmm. And that went on for a long time. The only thing they united on was that uh, Matilda was too generous to the poor with what wealth she had. Ah, of course. And eventually uh, she entered a convent and gave them all the wealth. So uh, those of you that, that don't have an Aunt Matilda, uh, you can borrow one of mine, both of them resting in peace. <laughs> Uh, fortunately, for most family uh, outings and gatherings, they weren't in the room at the same time. So we didn't have to say Aunt Tilly 1 and Aunt Tilly 2. Good. That's that's good. I'm glad you were spared that. Hey, I want to also say good morning to our listeners in Central Texas on KYAR. I don't want to neglect them. Oh, yes. I, I'm sorry. I, I When I think of Red Sea Radio, I don't think just of KEDC anymore. I think of both KEDC and KAYR. Indeed. I said good morning to the Brazos Valley, so I wanted to extend also oh, I'm a sorry. welcome to okay. our listeners in Central Texas, too, who yeah. are getting ready to have their benefit dinner yes, on April they are. 21st. And they're having Exciting. people here who are local celebrities yes. at their benefit dinner. And, Indeed. and who is that, uh, Thaddeus? Uh, Trey and Stephanie Cashin, are the hosts of Mystery of Parenthood on Red Sea, are going to be going up there to speak the benefit dinner on April 21st for 
KYAR. Okay. And they're they're looking forward to it very much. And our our uh, station director up there, Stephanie Lee, is just doing a bang up job, uh, making that making that station at home in the Waco Central Texas area. So, good morning to Stephanie if she's listening. Yes, good morning, Stephanie. I have yet to meet you. I hope to meet you someday soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Feast of St. Matilda, which is today. We have another feast day coming up toward on Friday, as I re- as recall. Mm, what's, uh, what's, uh, well, some it's of a us, very obscure feast day. Uh, for, for those of us who, who uh, aren't from the Aran Isles, it's, it's a rather obscure feast day. The Feast of St. Patrick. And this year, the bishops, the uh, U.S. Council of Bishops has provided an, uh, I, I'm going to say exemption, I don't remember the exact word, from fast. Dispensation. Dispensation from fast and abstinence. Uh, unless, uh, for those who are celebrating St. Patrick's Day, lest any of you think that that's something new, uh, I go back to the days before Vatican II when the fast and abstinence during Lent was significantly more difficult than it is today. And you had to fast every Friday no matter what. Well, you fasted every day. And abstained. Or abs- to, you abstained every Friday during the year anyway. Anyway. From meat. And you fasted, you're supposed to fast and abstain throughout the Hall of Lent. And there were other days during the year when you would do that mm-hmm. uh, before significant feast days. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I recall, also at the beginning of each of the seasons. Uh, I, I lived in a, a parish called St. Patrick's, which although the pastor was Irish American and the assistant pastor spoke with a good Irish brogue. Uh, and we had a St. Patrick's Day feast every year. And I recall that during that feast, uh, a big tent that I still think of as a circus tent was put in the parking lot. And it was uh, a lot of celebration and all many of the ladies of the parish would bake turkeys. And even though it was during Lent, a time of fast and abstinence, the local bishop gave a dispensation mm-hmm. from the fast and the abstinence during Lent. Mm-hmm. The other parish, or this was on the north side of town, and on the west side of town, two days later, St. Joseph's Parish had a similar feast, had a similar dispensation. So the, the dispensation from the uh, quite uh, more lax uh, fast and abstinent rule, abstinence rules for Lent is not anything new. It's been around for a long time. Right, right. So, and I hope all of you folks who are Irish, which includes my sweet wife and all of our children, have a lot more Irish in them than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish you all a very happy St. Patrick's Day, and uh, uh, just enjoy it. And I want to go back to Pi Day for a minute, because all of us nerds really need to celebrate. And those of us that haven't given up sweets for Lent, why don't you go out and get one of the round pies and celebrate with that? But since most of us are a little bit nutty anyway, I would suggest a pecan pie rather than apple or chocolate cream or something of that nature. And have that on St. Patrick's Day? You could have, Today is pie day. So you have it today to celebrate pie day. Uh, there's a lot going on, but I'm not going to talk about a lot of that. One of the, the people that are coming in later are from Focolari, and it's mm-hmm. a, some people know what Focolari is, and many of us really don't, and they're going to have an opportunity to explain to us what Focolari is and some of the activities of Focolari, and it is what is known as an ecclesial movement, which— What's that mean, Gene? Basically, uh, it, 
uh, it means that the uh, people, the organization, are significantly Catholic. Uh, that they have the Vatican has approved this organization as an official organization within the Catholic Church. Then, and they have promised to be submit to their local bishop and to the teachings of the church and to the hierarchy of the church. And most of these organizations that are like that also have an office in Rome uh, where they work with the Vatican, and it's usually the Congregation of the Laity that does it. Some other name, some other organizations that you may recognize that are uh, ecclesial movements, and this uh, are uh, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, Curseal, Christian Life Communities, Christian Family Movement, uh, one which I cannot pronounce, Focolare, the Neocatechumic Way, Marriage and County, Counter, Communion and Liberation, and La Arch. Uh, those of you who don't know what La Arch is, that is the group founded by Jean Varnay. Varn- oh, I can't say Varnay. my. Yeah, I can't say it. I mean, if Father Albert were here, he could say it. But Jean Varnier? Varnier. And they had communities where they ministered to people with definite physical and and, uh, mental needs and challenges, Mm -hmm. and that is the organization, those of you that know of Henry Nouwen, he was at their Daybreak community in Toronto for 10 years before he died. So there are a lot of opportunities to do things within the church where it, it, when you first look at the the movement, and when you look at when we look at Four Colori, you'll say, "Well, how can that possibly be Catholic and approved by the Catholic Church?" And a lot of people feel that way about the Charismatic Renewal and and some of the others here. The Communion and Liberation is one that comes to mind immediately. That when you hear the title, you don't think that can be Catholic. So this will be a good learning opportunity today, huh? It should be. B- back up just a little bit. You mentioned Henry now, and give people just a brief sense of who he was, what should they read if they've never read any of his uh, Henry, work? Henry Nouwen uh, was a Dutch priest who came to this country, he was ordained in 1957, and he came to this country, he was professor of theology at Yale and at Harvard, he taught at Notre Dame, he authored, I think it's 39 books, uh, some people say there's some people who joke about Henry now and says he never had a thought he didn't write it down. <laughs> uh, of all the books that Henry Nouwen wrote, probably the most significant and the one that I would say is most worth reading is the return of the prodigal son. Oh, okay. He, uh, he, he saw this in, I think his John, John Vanier, Vanier's office. Uh, in France when he went to visit there. And it is a picture that was painted and was hanging in uh, St. Petersburg, at the palace in St. Petersburg. And I think Rembrandt painted it. And it, and he just he, he went then to St. Petersburg at that time called Leningrad, and he looked at it for three days, and he talked about all of the aspects of the parable of the prodigal son. Oh, where, wow. Uh, where... Not only are all of us the son that ran away, mm-hmm. all of us tend to be the son that stayed home and be, was resentful. Sure, sure. And that we are all called to be the father who is forgiving. And uh, it's a very short book, but it's very profound. So obviously, it had a very influential effect on the way that 
parable is preached about too, because you hear those themes in in sermons come yes, up. So I'm sure it's yes, you do. It's had a wide impact. Okay, good. So the return of the prodigal son by by Nowen. And Nowen is not Henry J M Nowen, and Nowen is N O U W E N. Uh, you can fill, still find those books. They're all in print. I mean, and and most of Nowen's works are uh, such that uh, Christians of all flavors uh, right. uh, appreciate Nowen. Right, right. And he he was his uh, his his. Uh, He's like C.S. Lewis in that re- in that in, respect. In respect, and uh, rather than getting his extra work in theology, as a lot of priests do. He got his in psychology, so he takes a very psychological view mm. of what of our Christian experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and if anybody hasn't read him, uh, I I really recommend him. Uh, uh, we have read a great number of his books. We were introduced to them by some very good friends, and uh, most of almost everything he's ever had to say has had a very big impact on my life and on most of the people that have read his books. Wonderful. I don't know whether you're familiar with him or not. I'm familiar with the name, but I haven't read any of his work. Mm-hmm. So. He, he was a contemporary of uh, Thomas Merton, Merton, and he had, he actually uh, spent some time in a, a uh, Trappist monastery. Okay. He, he, he did a lot of traveling and visiting and, and all that sort of thing. So. Okay. So, and I, his books are very easy to read, very profound, and... Uh, He's a great was a great preacher. Uh, I found out uh, recently that uh, Robert Schuler asked him to come and preach at the Crystal Cathedral at one time. Really? And he, I think he was there on three Sundays, and then Schuler had videotaped those, and then he gave those as a part of these the uh, curriculum for people that he was training as preachers hmm. because he's just so simple and so so easy to understand. Right. His Dutch accent wasn't easy to understand, but what he was saying was easy to understand. He could cut through that, 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 sure that Dutch could. accent. Uh, well, do you have anything else for us? I cut you off on a little bit of a tangent, but it was an enjoyable one. Thank you. Let's meander back to the main, the main path. The main path is that uh, folklore is one of the ways in which uh, its founder, and we'll hear more about that, and, mm-hmm. and many of the others, like the neocatechumenical way and, and uh, marriage encounter and Curcio and uh, Christian family movement and, and charismatic renewal are all ways that, that for some of us, it, it is an aid to be able to come closer to living the Christian life as it is meant to live. And that's one of the things that I think is so great about Catholicism is that we're not all in lockstep mode to do the same thing to get there. Right. That uh, the church recognizes that, that we are different as people, although we're brothers and sisters. Some of us are as different from each other in the church as we are from our brother and sister in our family, and that the, the path that we take to get to heaven may not be the same path as the person that we were raised with or spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with. and. That's, I think that's very important for us to understand and to realize. Um, and uh, I've seen a lot of different pathways that people have taken, and all yeah. of them are very, very holy. I'm paraphrasing St. Augustine, but I believe he said something along the lines of Catholicism is characterized by, in all things that are not essential diversity, 
and in all things that are that are essential unity. Yes. And I, and I'm not I'm I'm making a a hash of his fine prose, but that, that that's at the at the essence of what he he said and I think that's an important little aphorism to keep in mind. I think in a lot of ways uh when we we seek God, we're a lot like the blind people that explored the elephant. Each of them touched a different part and uh God doesn't always open our eyes to be able to see everything about him. And for most of us he doesn't. So we, we get to see a little bit, and as we share what we see of God with other people, they're able to get a ve- better idea of who God is. Well, that's why we need the revelation, you know? That's why we need the God actively revealing himself through the scriptures and through the life and ministry of Christ and then the, ministry, the work of his church. The work of his church, and, and these uh, ecclesial movements are really uh, ways in which God does that. Hmm. Uh, John Paul II Thought, uh, getting back to the ecclesial movements, uh, uh, talked about them as being the main means of the new evangelization taking place. Yes. So yeah. it's it's where the people are, and uh, people they they are the ones the people that are in these movements have the opportunity to share with other people and attract people to Christ uh, in a way that perhaps the clergy or the the religious do not. I don't know whether I've got much else to say unless you've got something. Uh, no, I think why don't we go to let, – let's get people – give people a break from us and let's go to a break yes, and then we'll the, come. Because people are coming are much more interesting than we are. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup, and I have as my guest today, Rose Schmitz, Bronius Modokaitis, and I challenge each of you to try to spell his name from memory, and Amanda Isley. Isley. Isley, pardon me, Isley. And we're going to talk about Focolare, and that's not that song from back in the 50s or 60s. Uh, it's something totally different. Would somebody tell me what in the world is Focolare? Well, folklore that we're speaking of today is uh, a spirituality in the Catholic Church that uh, has a, the original name, as noticed uh, uh, in the church, is the work of Mary. But it started out before it was um, accepted in the church, and just in its very beginning, it was called folklore because it's an Italian word um, that means the family fireside. And that kind of leads into how it all began. Who's the founder of Focolari? Some of us have heard her name and some of us has, haven't. Um, the foundress is Chiara Lubick, and she was a young 20-year-old lady that um, was in Italy in Trent during World War II when she received this spirituality. And, and she didn't keep it to herself. She didn't. Um, she, what, what she really did was she didn't start out founding a, a movement or a spirituality at all. She, she fell in love with God, and she wanted to pursue Him, and she really wanted to consecrate herself to Him. 
Wow. And so during the war, she was surrounded by destruction everywhere. And she said, you know, if I'm going to die, then what would please the Lord the best? And so her whole focus was on loving him. And so when she read the Gospels, she said um, the thing that that stood out to her was love one another as I have loved you. And she realized that meant be ready to give your life for them, for others. So in the war with bombs falling everywhere, that was going to be a real possibility. So every day um, she and her friends would go out instead of running to save their lives, they ran to help others where the bombs were falling around them. They ran to, f- to help that mother that had small children. They ran to help that elderly person trying to get to the bomb shelters. And what they found is that in, in this effort to love their neighbor, Jesus was very present to them in very concrete ways. And so the more they loved, the more they felt his love received back. So that was their effort, was just to love God, be ready to give their lives for the neighbors, um, and to love as he did. Now, although this is an ecclesial movement within the Catholic Church, which means it has official Vatican approval and and the organization submits itself uh, to the authority of the church and the local bishop, it's not solely a Catholic group, is it? No, it's um, at first— Kiara thought that it was supposed to be just in the Catholic Church. But little by little, she realized this isn't just for Catholics because it is about loving your neighbor. It's about loving all of God's creation. Um, and so she, it, it expanded out to non-Catholics. And then eventually, even to those people who are non-Christian, because it's about loving as Jesus did, not in making barriers, but in bridging barriers. The other thing that the, that I understand about uh, Focalari is that it is one of the few, if not the only, organization within the church where the leader, the president, needs to be a woman. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is something that that um, is a is a. In the statutes that Kiara asked Pope John Paul at that time um, if he felt like that was a good rule, and um, and he agreed, and so that isn't part of the statutes. So there's there is a focalari group that meets locally here in Bryan College Station. I'm sure there's one in the Waco area as well. Is that correct, or do you know at this point? Uh, yeah, there's not a specific one in Waco. We have our bigger centers are in uh, Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Austin, and now in College Station. Okay. What is the local group called in College Station? Is there a particular name for that? It's not... Yeah, there aren't chapter names as such. Uh, we have Word of Life Groups, which is a, a small gathering of families or uh, typically adults. The kids have their own activities. Uh, these Word of Life Groups get together and we discuss the uh, the monthly gospel reading that we're all be, that we'll all be focusing on for the upcoming month and we talk about what happened in the previous month what kind of experiences we had in living that spirituality uh, in concrete ways now the word of life uh, I know that over the years the word of life pamphlet has been in the pews at the Eucharistic chapel at St Thomas Aquinas and somebody can go online to find the the gospel reading 
and the commentary on it, and now it's by a priest rather than Chiara, right? And so, but in the local ch- chapter, are there a lot of people in the local chapter? Or is... Uh, a lot is a relative term, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a lot... Right. We, we have we have regular regulars that show. Uh, we have Rose and Connie that do all the legwork. <laughs> so they're at all the meetings. And uh, we have some number of, uh, of regular attendees. And sometimes we bring our kids as well. Mm-hmm. Amanda, what what brought you to want to join Focolari? Well, I have a story I can share about that where I know some people who are actually in the Focolari. And at one point, I, well, I was getting to know this person. And at one point, we had a little bit of an argument about something. And, you know, I kept saying, you know, this is how I feel about this. And it was, you know, more about things that this person was doing that were kind of aggravating me. Okay. And instead imagine of, that for instead any of Instead of her coming back and, and saying, well, you do the same thing worse than I do she every every word that came back to me was loving and kind and it kind of wowed me this argument of and everything I would say she would come back with something loving and I was just like can you just be mean back to me (laughs) okay and it never happened and so when it was all said and done with and we were still of course friends I said how did you do that I've never had an argument that was so loving, ever. And then she told me more about the Focolore and how, you know, it's a conscious effort to to treat people that way. And it's natural to her now. And I thought, well, wow, I've got to learn more about this. So I took my family to the meeting and started surrounding my peop- myself with people who live that. And it, it's... It's not, to me, a natural thing to always do that, if you know what I mean. I it's certainly more, do. It's more natural to become defensive about things or judgmental about things. And, and what I'm learning with surrounding myself with these people is that you have to teach yourself to think in a whole different way. And with them sharing their stories and teaching me how to be loving, like, For example, if you're driving down the highway and someone cuts you off, your natural instinct is to, you know, become defensive and get upset. And, you know, instead, you can shift your thinking to, wow, I'm going to say a prayer for that person because maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe something happened to their kid. Maybe they're sick. Maybe... Mm -hmm. They're really not well. You know, it. you have to shift your thinking on the other instead of yourself and how you're feeling all the time. And when I miss too many of these meetings, <laughs> I fall back into that trap of getting more defensive and just, you know, not loving as much as I could. And so I have to stay centered with these people to make sure that I am loving all the time. Amanda, how long have you and your family been involved in Focolari? No, it's been a couple of years already. Time kind of flies, but you know, one thing I've noticed too is we take our children to the meetings, and they have um, the consecrated um, men come and do the children's program for the 
my children who are 10 and 12 years old. And one thing I've noticed with them, they'll tell you, I don't get anything about uh, out of these things, but I can see the fruits of it because even in an argument with my oldest, who's 12, when he can look at me and say, mom, can we begin again? Mm. That tells that just changes the whole tone of everything, mm-hmm. and he learned that through the folklore. Now I know that uh, Rose, you are very active, and David, and Bronius and Julie are very active. How long have you been involved? Were, were you involved before you came here to Bryan College Station, or is it something you acquired while you're here? Or how did you, how did you get involved in the first place? Well, I I was I'm a. a you know, cradle Catholic. And so I was very involved in the Catholic church and everything all of my life. And when I came to college station <clears throat> several years and we had a pastor that came uh, to St. Thomas Aquinas and <clears throat> he introduced the focalari to that, to our parish. And so I decided, well, I'll, I joined everything at that time. So <laughs> I went and I really liked our pastor and it was something that, um, that I felt like what, what really brought me to it um, 20 plus years ago was that I was doing so many things that I didn't have time to do something more. And this attracted me because he wasn't saying you need to do anything more. You just need to do what you're doing better. And that really led me to start dropping off some things so that I could do the most important things, the better. Um, and that's just living the gospel concretely. So it's so 20 plus years for me, but it's been, it started in 1943. So yeah. yeah. How about you, Bronies? You and Julie have been involved in last year. I think you were coordinators for the local efforts at Mariopolis, correct? Uh, we help in whatever ways we can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rose, how, how old was, uh, was your son, Jonathan? Uh, he was two. How, how, what year was that? So about 94, so I'd say around 93, 94 is, is when I was invited to come to, to a Mariapolis meeting uh, uh, somewhere in Texas. And at that age, it just hit me at just the right time to be in an environment where everyone is practicing the spirituality. To me, I was just the teenager <laughs> doing as I was asked to go to this retreat. Oh, you, you still obeyed your mother at that time? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dean. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, when I saw this, uh, when I saw this spirituality there, it, they were practicing uh, what is known in in those circles as as reciprocal love, where, just as Amanda was describing, you approach every situation not as how would I react in this situation, but how would Jesus react? How can we bring Jesus in the midst here? And uh, and when you're in an environment where everybody's doing that, uh, you, you get a little slice of heaven, if you will. Uh, and that really stuck with me. It was just a short retreat one summer, uh, and, and, and the concepts, the feelings stuck with me for many years. I kept up with a few of the Focalarini, the people involved. Um, and then, fast forward, what, 40, 50, 60 years? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Julie and I were looking in the, uh, in the bulletin one Sunday, and there was a Mariopolis coming up. And we must have seen these, you know, come and go. But for some reason that time, Julia looked at it and said, hey, uh, you've talked about this. What do you say? And I was, of course, ecstatic. I said, yeah, let's, let's do this. Uh, so we signed up this for, uh, to this Mariopolis. We attended, and together we both had 
real profound experience there with our whole family uh, of being immersed in this reciprocal love environment. That was uh, just a few years ago now. Mm-hmm. So uh, answers both the questions there. Okay. Well, the word Mariopolis has come up, and that, that seems a little strange to some of us. Would someone like to tell, uh, tell me and our audience, what is a Mariopolis? Well, let's break the word down, Gene. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, it, it, it translates to City of Mary. We're, we're definitely living in the City of Mary when, when we have these retreats. What does that mean? I don't, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't understand. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I may be a nerd and maybe too much of a nerd to understand that. Well, I think what you could say is uh, Mary was the first Christian. Um, she, um, she loved Jesus first. And so when we go to this city, we only have just one rule. The whole time, this little, this Mariopolis, which is usually four or five days of a retreat for in various areas. Um, <clears throat> but there's only one rule, and that's to love one another. And so, um, so we try to bring Jesus, like Mary first brought Jesus into the world. We try to bring Jesus into that environment where we are. And so if you have everybody there trying to do the same thing, then it becomes the city of Mary where we all are trying to bring Jesus there. Um, and so if you just come for the first time and you don't know particularly, like, can I do that? Um, I can just tell you from experience, it is contagious. Because when you first go and you don't know what's going on, and everybody, is, are, everybody surrounds you by doing these acts of love for you just, just without without reason. I mean, they just are helping you. Pretty soon you want to do reciprocate. And so then it's like Bronius was saying, you have this reciprocal love. And when in the scriptures, it says where two or more are gathered in my name. And what we have learned is that in my name means like you have to come empty of yourself, ready to love other people. And when that's reciprocated back in the same way, the emptiness of, of both parties is filled with Christ and he becomes very present. And that's the environment that we're in during these Mariopolises, which is the summer retreat. Okay, so somebody's listening and they're looking for a place to take their family that is not Disney World or something like that for the summer. Is Mariopolis something that someone who's not a Focolare member would be welcome to come to? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so, so one. I, I'm glad you were so specific, Bronius. <laughs> well, they have activities, you know, for the whole family to enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, and they, we had gone to, what was the retreat? It was just a weekend camp out somewhere mm-hmm. last year, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that wasn't a Mariopolis. It was just a weekend retreat that they do. And it's just a little little taste of the Mariopolis. I haven't been to the Mariopolis, but even that, it was a a little bit overwhelming for us. There were a lot of people, there were a lot of people there and the consecrated men and women came and for everyone to just be so loving strangers and, oh, let me get your fork for you. Let me pour your tea for you. I mean, you're like, okay, it's a little (laughs) overwhelming, but you know what, what you're seeing is you know, that there's Christ in every, every one of us, okay? And 
and I'm a, a teacher at a Catholic school, St. Joseph Catholic School. And one thing I've learned to teach my children there too is that we all are receiving the body of Christ. We're going to Mass twice a week. We all have Jesus in us anyway. And then when we receive the body of the Christ, we have, have him in us. And so we can treat each other like we're talking to Jesus each time. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we're learning in Focalori is to actually, how would you treat that person if they were Christ standing in front of you? Okay. And that's, again, you have to, you have to teach yourself to think like that and to be loving like that. Like, would I say that if that was Jesus in front of me? How would I react if that was Jesus in front of me? Which is really the message that St. Mother Teresa was trying to tell us all as well. And we, exactly. we hear that and we accept that she told us to do that. And yet sometimes we find it difficult in our life. And what what I think I hear you saying is that the Focalori movement and the teachings and the uh, fellowship in Focalori are such that they make that possible for us to do. Absolutely. And I was visiting, you know, with um, one of the members the other day, and they were talking about a very, very difficult situation that they were trying to decide, you know, how to treat someone who was really, really, you know, stealing from them and, um, treating them really poorly because of whatever situation that person had in their life, okay? And instead of retaliating and calling the police even on these people, they understood what that person was going through, and they said, how can I love this person? And I was a little bit overwhelmed and wowed by that, that, whoa, you could have done so many horrible things back to this person for what they've done to you, but they sat there and said, no, I, I, this person needs me to love them right now. Okay. So tell, tell me a little bit about Mariopolis. It comes up, it's in June usually, is it not? Or June, early July? I don't remember. I don't know the dates offhand, but it is early July. Yeah, July. Over the July 4th weekend. Okay. Um, it'll be down in Kerrville this year. And second to the 5th. July second to the fifth. We'll probably be talking about it later as it gets closer. Uh, it's a it is a it is an event that's perfect for a family. Uh, there are adult activities, which are a lot of sessions to come and sit and talk and, and and learn about the spirituality and how it's working in people's lives, as well as in business. Uh, and there are kids' activities as well, where kids are following exactly the same program, but on a kid level. Lots of sports for the kids. Keep them uh, running and sweaty by the end of the day. Well, that, that means they have to go to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Rose shrugs. <laughs> Out of love for their parents, yes. <laughs> so, so this is an annual affair, and if someone wants more information about Mariopolis in particular, that's kind of, I don't know that I want to be a focalori, but it sounds like something good for the family. Is there somebody that could be contacted at this point to get more information about that? Or, uh, to, or where would where would one go to find that information? Um, you can, there are several places. If you wanted to, to contact somebody from the local level, um, we have an a email address. It's focalori.bcs at gmail.com. Focalori? Focalori, and you spell that F O C O. L-A-R-E. So focalari.bcs at gmail.com. And you could just email and we could give you more information. Or if you wanted to um, 
look in, on the website. It's vocalari.org slash USA. Once you get onto that, you would see there's a link for Southwest region, and that's where we are, the Southwest okay. region. And there, there's a lot of activities that are there. Uh, if you look at that website, uh, both many of them uh, highlight stuff in Dallas and in, in Houston. In, in our whole area, right. Yeah. And you, it also gives you a nice snippet of what, how broad the Focolari is worldwide because we are in 182 countries. So you, you would be able to see what's going on in the United States. And then if you just went to Focolari.org, you would see what's going on in the world. Um, recently, the Pope came to our Mariopolis last year, not in Southwest, but in Rome. And he also, uh, that was a surprise visit from him. And he also recently asked to talk with many of our members who have businesses that are dedicated to living the spirituality inside the business. So we asked for an audience with them to, to talk about this new economic way uh, that we've been practicing actually for the last 20 years. What, uh, I think Amanda's talked a little bit about this, but for the, for the, for uh, Bronius and Rose, what would you say is the most profound thing that happened to you and your family as a, as a result of being involved in Focolori? What, what effect has it had on your life and the lives of your family? Bronius is grinning there. So, uh, I can, I can, I can hear the, uh, CPU working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I'd say the, as with any organization, when things occur at the top, they can trickle down better. And uh, when Julia and I really learned to adhere to this, it, you know, it could be as simple as folding laundry for the other. <laughs> Little things you do around the house. It can be, we're both super tired, but, oh, there's this one thing that needs to be done. And we just remember to serve the other a little better. In so doing, we're also able to focus, uh, we're able to demonstrate this for our children and our, and our kids We've got three young boys, and our, our kids are, are seeing this. They witness it themselves. We talk about this at breakfast and at dinner <laughs> when we think to. There's a uh, there's a neat little there's a neat little tool in the movement. It's 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 called the cube, the cube of love, and you can uh, you can roll it, and it's got some pithy little love Jesus phrase on there that you can apply in your life in in your day, and and our kids can read this and try to keep this in mind throughout the day so that when they come back at the end of the day, we can talk about, so how did you love Jesus today? How, how did you serve your neighbor today? Well, it's a conversation starter, if you will. So uh, one way that it, that this movement has affected our lives is just bring Jesus in the family and in our community through us. Rose, you, you've been at it a while. Can you remember back that far? Uh, well, that's a bigger question, right? <laughs> so um, what I would say is my oldest son was two when I met the Focolari and I went because I really saw as a parent I could do a lot of things right or I could do a lot of things wrong and I really wanted to get it right so we started going to the Mariopolises and then we became more and more involved um, and this is what I would say the proof is in the pudding when he became when he got to be from two years old to 16 um, and we were living the spirituality at home there's one very important uh, little uh, phrase that we use a lot of times is begin again, be the first to love because we always fail at loving. And then, but what do we do? Sometimes in families that becomes a barrier that gets wider and wider between spouses, between children, especially in the teenage years. 
And so if you grow up with this thinking of be the first to love, it doesn't matter who was right or who was wrong. It doesn't have to be established. Just be the first to love. You bridge that barrier so quickly and it doesn't become a, um, a something that is impassable anymore. So <clears throat> at 16, my oldest son, one time we, there was this, you know, he was exercising his desire to be more independent and I was exercising my desire of holding on to my little one. And um, so there was this conflict. And so we had our, our discussion, you might call it. And then he, then he left the room, but then within several minutes, he came back and he said, mom, can we just start again? And I thought, thank you, Lord, because that from a 16 year old boy's standpoint, that's not typical for somebody to come back and, and for them to make that first effort. Um, so I think just having your, your family grow up with this idea of loving and being the first to love and love your enemies even. And sometimes your mom is your enemy because I was trying to, to control and regulate and he was fighting against that. Um, so for him to have the idea of, of loving me and for me to be able to try to really love him and be in his shoes, it really has helped me in my relationships with my, with my kids and with my spouse. And, and every, every time there's a conflict, you start thinking, like Amanda said, you start thinking in a different way, like, how can I bridge this rather than let it be a barrier? A, a phrase that I've heard here several times is, can we begin again? What does that mean? I know that's Focolari speak for something, but what does that really mean? Uh, anybody want to tackle that? Well, like when I was having this spat with my 12-year-old and he said, can we begin again? I mean, we were in the heat of the moment. And he said, can we begin again? And it just, it changed the whole tone of the argument. Does, does that, it just, it, excuse me, does that mean that it just, re, let's start the conversation over? Is that what that well, means? Or, or uh, it can just mean, it, it, well, when he said that, it, it at that moment, it just changed the tone of everything. And then before we knew it, we were like hugging and saying, I'm sorry, of course we can begin again. We don't need to have this argument. It okay. wasn't that big of a deal anyway. Yeah. So, yes, it could mean, start, you know, changing the tone or focusing on something else. Or can you treat me more lovingly? Remember, I'm Christ in front of you. Mm-hmm. One thing I would like to add, too, is that I have a son that has Down syndrome. And this spirituality has been very helpful because it's so simple. It's not easy, but it's so simple. He understands it. He understands to love one another. He understands to begin again. In fact, we had that discussion yesterday. Um, something is bothering him, I know, but but for some reason there's a little gap between us. And that's the term that I used. And he understands that, Michael, can we just begin again? And he that always just seems to have this calming effect, like, okay, I just we're just gonna erase the whatever it was and we're just gonna start from here loving again. So it's it's powerful for adults. It's powerful for little ones. The topic of service came up, too, in our conversation. If I remember correctly, the Focolari folks were the ones that provided the babysitting for the KEDC retreat. So is that, is that typically something that Focolari would do at a local level? Well, we wouldn't call it babysitting so much as well, it, it was a program okay. for, for uh, the youth during that. So was it a Focolari-type program for the youth? It was a program that really talked to them about how to, to live the cube of love. 
Okay. It's so because the Cuban love, it was started by the Focolari, and it's something that we refer to a lot. But if everybody in the world just lived the sides of the cube that talk about how to love better, then it doesn't matter what you stamp it as Focolari or gospel or loving or whatever. It's going to be very, very impactful. So the consecrated women and men came to do those programs for the for the youth during that retreat. Yes, Amanda. You've brought up the Cube of Love a couple of times. And actually, if you go to the org, there is a template for the Cube of Love that you can just print off on cardstock and fold. So it's not even something you have to go purchase if you're curious. Now, Focolari locally, do you have regular meetings of people? Uh, I've, I kind of got that impression in listening to what was said. And if so, where where, and when would those happen? And how would somebody find out about those locally? And, and I'm sure, and, and I don't know what's going on in the Waco area, so I can't address that. Yes, the, uh, the easiest way to get involved is to just show up at a, a Word of Life meeting. They happen monthly, and they're at someone's home. We rotate who hosts, depending on who's, uh, who's got something going on or not. Uh, there are those pamphlets that are available in the chapel, as you mentioned, and so, uh, maybe all the parishes have them at the entrances here in the area. And I think uh, emailing that, that email address that Rose gave earlier. Which foc- is focolore.bcs at gmail.com. That's right. Um, if you email that and just express your interest, hey, I'd like to show up at a meeting, when is it? Uh, you know, certainly we can keep you in the loop that way. And I would I would invite our friends and listeners in the Waco area to use that email address, too, if you want to get more information about how you can start a Focolori uh, chapter in, in your area. Just to get involved with the Focolari to learn more, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, so, so you could use that same email or you can go to those same websites and um, you could be directed very easily. Well, I, what I think... Maybe the email address would be better because people are hearing here and they know you're real life people that go through your struggles and, and the Focolori movement and the Focolori way of helping you to overcome some of the struggles. Yeah, and I, I should say that the real baseline way to get involved is staying in prayer, of course, but put Jesus in front of you in every interaction. This is at the store clerk, the, the bank teller, the uh, subordinates and, and supervisors, everybody that you come across, parents, your own children. And remember, this is really Jesus in front of you. And how can you bring the Holy Spirit with you? How, how can you bring Jesus in the midst? And just on the, uh, something to keep in mind, the meetings are like booster shots, but the real work is done between the meetings. Between the meetings is where we're living it. And so like Amanda said, if she doesn't go for a couple of meetings, if she's missed a couple of meetings, the booster is that she had several months ago is kind of wearing off. So it's hard, it's easier to get drawn back into the world. So if you come to the meetings, it's not that we do anything magic there. What we do is just re, um, we share some of our our successes and some of our failures on how we tried to live it. So the next time in between the meetings, when we're others are faced with those same challenges, then they are given like, oh, yeah, I, I remember I had so-and-so did this, and I'm going to try to do it. So um, that makes it more helpful. We're getting close to running out of time. we got about a minute and 30 seconds before we do a wrap-up. Is there something key that needs to be said that I haven't asked you to bring up? Is it, 
uh, one other thing I would just like to to emphasize or, or clarify is that we do have vocations in the focolari. And so the consecrated women and men do take vows and they go through the long process of, of uh, discernment and of training. Um, so there are those consecrated people. But for the most part, the rest of us are just out here trying to live this well. Um, and we go to the Focalarini, those consecrated people, because they have had this long period of training. So they give us bigger booster shots as well. Are the Focalarini uh, any in this area, or do they come from Houston or someplace? Right, they drive in. They drive in from some of the larger cities. Okay. Dallas, Dallas is our is the current center. Yeah, in Houston. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I would like to add one thing that really stands out to me all the time here is there are these kind of mini miracles. And we hear stories from the past when Kiara first began this movement of little things where she asks for something with her, with her friends they are gathered. Jesus is in their midst, they're praying. And then, you know, a few minutes later or a day later, somebody comes around asking somebody needing something that is exactly what they're praying about and, and they provide it. But those things are happening today. And for me, while the Word of Life meetings are, are you know, certainly important to attend to me, I'm, I'm much less about talking and you know chatting about how things went and much more about, for instance, what happened to me this past week. I do some work with the Living City website, livingcitymagazine.com, which is the magazine publication for this movement. And uh, once in a while, I get to interact with the staff there, and it, it's, it's really beautiful. They're running a large organization, pumping out a lot of magazines and, and other publications, and, uh, and yet they, they have complete faith in God and all their decisions. You know, something that from a business mind, you might say, well, we have to do this, cut this, do that, raise money here. No, they're, they're very much, very much take it day at a time. And they're always in prayer and, and you can see, well, I'll, I'll be brief in, in a short, I, I don't believe it. <laughs> I'll, Okay. Uh, in a short 10 or 11 minute time, I feel like my, my whole month was supercharged, blessed just by a short conversation uh, with one of them. And if we, we can, I'll go into detail, but it doesn't look like no, we have we time. Don't have to, we don't right. have time. I'm so sorry. Rose, Bronius, Amanda, thank you so much be, for being with us today. And again, I would say if you want more information, go to folk, email focolare, F-O-C-O-L-A-R-E dot B-C-S at gmail.com. And remember, folks... When you are offered the challenge of choosing between the values of the world and the values of heaven, always round up. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me, what are you waiting for?